Hello, regulars. You're listening to Floor by Floor, a Tower of God podcast discussing the latest chapters of the webtoon. I'm Reziat. And I'm Beerlane. And we're your hosts. Welcome to the fifth floor, where we'll be discussing chapter 570, or season 3, episode 153. This chapter is big, so please bear with us while we try to get through all the details. But first, let's start with a quick recap of the previous chapter. In the last chapter, Kun and Rock catch up to Hemis and Dravi. Kun starts asking questions and finds out Dravi is from Fug, there to help Bomb win or escape. Kun asks Dravi if she knows the way off of the battleship, but she declines to answer. Then they spot Ren's leech body and follow it. Shiliel gets upset that Bomb declined her proposal and Endorsi taunts her. Liliel snaps and screams that she'll never accept her or her sister getting married and gets in an argument with Shiliel. Lilio wants to kill Bomb because she blames him for everything and calls him a devil and a monster. Again, everybody calling poor Bomb a monster. Shilio slaps Lilio across the face and tells her to stop acting like a baby. The family head has already decided Bomb will be their heir. Bomb comments how he doesn't want to be the heir though, but then he gets interrupted. Dravi and the others catch up around the corner and Kun shouts Bomb's name. Bomb immediately recognizes his voice and calls back. Kun looks angry and flabbergasted as he shouts that you're on the Lopobiel battleship. What happened? Then we cut away to Jam Jam firing missiles and lasers at Matt, but Matt is unharmed in his concrete form. Unable to stall any longer, Matt decides to use his spear, which was a precious gift from Gustang. Jam Jam is shocked and tries to fight back, but takes a blast through the torso and his wings are disintegrated. Then we cut to Yuri and Tiara. Yuri is shocked that Tiara's book can work against the rules of the tower by allowing someone to use more Shinsu than the fixed amount granted to them. Yuri dodges the attack and counters, but gets nicked in the neck and is bleeding. Tiara's hit by the Green Apel's attack, but her Shinsu body reforms without damage. Yuri figures out the attack is weaker than the original, but that the book might be the cause of it and has to go. She charges in with a plan while Tiara mocks her for having a poor imagination for charging in blindly without a thought. And that's the end of the chapter. The last couple of chapters have been rather short, so it looks like this time Siu's making up for it with a ginormous chapter. It opens up with Holland escaping from his hospital room and wandering around, complaining about the burning on his tongue. He then witnesses the explosion on the hotel room floor above him that we last saw with Gororo. We go back to Matt and Jam Jam's fight. The Dragonfly Observers are gathering around Jam Jam's damaged body and repairing the hole in his torso quite quickly. We see tubes but no guts, implying Jam Jam might be part or full android of some sort. Matt decides to take action and readies another attack, except he gets interrupted by spikes flying at him from below. Holland is there, furious, yelling up at Matt to explain why he's there. Matt can sense that he's dangerous not just to others but to himself. Holland continues to complain about his burning tongue and summons a divine beast with a lot of teeth and tentacles and attacks Matt. It's a massive beast, and its attack pushes Matt towards the building. Seriously, what the heck does it mean that Jam Jam is also a robotic being of sorts, kind of like Fusil was at the Cat Tower? On that panel with the dragonflies repairing Jam Jam, you see a whole bunch of, like, metal tubing and mechanical parts, and you just go, what? Fusil was the guy that was the bomb, wasn't he? Yeah, 
He was the Lopobia division commander in the 5th Army Corps under Yasracha, who ended up being that bomb that blew up the cat tower, where for a moment we all thought everyone was dead, but no, they weren't, because plot armor. Yay. <laughs> like, this is the second time we see someone who's partially robotic, so what could that mean for the Lopobia? Which kind of made me think of, like, this funsies theory. Like, what if Traumarai wears a mask and just kind of hides most of his body because he's also dipped into some sort of cybernetic enhancements or something? Or that he's also searching for a way to break the tower laws through experimentation with the workshop? It reminds me of what the workshop is up to in creating all of these devices. And so it doesn't surprise me that Traumarai would say screw ethics and experiment on people and especially himself also because he's just that messed up and like really messed up because considering Tromrai dumped a bunch of his memories into Leviathan to go further what if Tromrai doesn't even remember why he started doing this and just got left with this twisted hyperfixation of like merging people and things and objects and all that weird stuff we're seeing from the Lopopia now. He's giving Chimera a new definition. It's just shocking. And considering Traumarai seems to have Jahad in a loop with everything he's doing, what if Jahad also has a hand in it and is just gaslighting Traumarai and purposefully keeping him from remembering things in order to further this kind of strange experimentation? Or keep him on a certain track on a fate that he saw? Who knows? Yeah, it would be interesting if the plot twist turns out to be that Chamurai was never on board with these ideas to begin with and was forced to put away his memories in order to make him compliant with the new plans. <laughs> Ooh. But we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Besides Jam Jam being a robot and probably able to come back to life again, just what? What does this mean on the overall scale of things? But at least it looks like the fight is over. I mean, it's literally been pushed to a corner. Considering what happens later in the chapter, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's keep going. We cut to Jinsung and Cha in their guard disguises, walking to the end of a corridor to meet up with Goruro. They exchange greetings and names, and Goruro reveals that his group has the same goals as Fug, and they will assist in their escape in exchange for the regulars' help with his group's purpose. Jinsung is wary, but Goro assures him his group wants a win-win situation for everyone involved. Like Fug, they want to collapse the Ten Great Family system by using the Slayer Candidate to stir up tension and conflict. In this case, they want Gustang and Traumarai to destroy each other. He also mentions that the group has called themselves Revolution. Goro promises to keep Bomb from being subjugated by the Lopobia family and shows them a submarine that looks like a manatee as their escape vessel. Goruro tells them of an unsupervised gate that they won't be traced through. Jinsung then turns to Cha and asks him to tell Bomb that he left the battleship first. I've been predicting it for a couple of weeks now, but we finally get to see what happened to Jinsung and Cha. And God, isn't that panel with a bunch of familiar people while Goruro is talking interesting? While Goruro talks about his group wanting the collapse of the Ten Great Family System, a panel is shown of a group ensemble consisting of the captain, Lopopia Yule, Gororo himself, Ghost, Emily, Bellarir, and Rachel. 
And right after that, Goro says this rebel group has decided to call themselves Hyongmyong, which literally translates to revolution as in the term for an uprising or political revolt. I just stared at that and went, what? It was definitely a shocking panel. Because Siu is like that. He likes to show you these little tidbits of information that are super important, but like in a passing panel, like in a passing glance, you blink and you miss it. And it's visual. It's a purely visual, strong implication that this is Rachel's team or the organization that she's become a part of and their current actual objective in the tower and that the people that they're working with are all there to instigate not only the 10 great family leaders, but Baum himself as well, into getting into all the situation Baum is in, like a moth caught in a spider web to get things to go their way. And essentially, this is just this big stealthy shadow group that is in the tower manipulating things undetected that many FUG members themselves, or at least based on Jinsung's reaction, don't seem to know exists. Though Goro says they're not fuck, but have a similar goal to fuck. So they're allies by way of having a common enemy and seem to share some members of fuck in their ranks. I think it's really interesting that fuck has not become aware of this group. Makes me wonder how long they've been active. As we saw with Rachel tricking Kuhn at the Popadao battleship, they've definitely been active. So why have they not been receiving the intel on these events happening? To boil it down, Siu is cooking. He's cooking. Hopefully he hasn't forgotten about anything. Like how Rachel also has Arkraptor's daughter in tow. So I do wonder if she's a member of this group and if we'll get to meet her sometime soon. Siu, please don't forget about that. Please. Yeah, and we know it's Arkraptor's daughter because she has the earring. Is that right? Yeah. The earring was, I think, one of their engagement rings that got fashioned into earrings. And there was a panel early on in the cage arc where her ear was shown. She has white hair and she has a silver earring compared to Arkraptor's golden one. Again, see you dropping those secret panels that if you blink, you miss them. Because I'm sure so many of you guys don't remember that. And talk is so long. It's so easy to forget small details like that as you're reading through it. That alongside all of the parallels that are going on with this particular arc, alongside the name hunt station, that'll become more apparent as the chapter continues. By the end of this segment, Jinsung's telling Cha to tell Bomb that he left already. I get the feeling he wants to stay back and do something. What he's going to do, we don't know. But seriously, they just saved him, and now he's the one trying to get himself caught again, or worse. Uh. Wanting to stay back is the easiest way to give yourself a red flag. And like you said, we just saved them. But that would make it more tragic, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> See you. Please don't. <laughs> oh, it'll hurt if it actually happens. I hope it's not anytime soon. No, he'll live a nice full life. <laughs> I sure hope so. But in the meantime, Bomb has no idea and he's busy just updating Kuhn on everything that's happening. And while they chat about what's happening so far, the others are watching them talk. Hemis and Ravi point out how different Bomb acts around his friends. Shilil is listening in, and that's how she finds out that Tiara and Yuri are there also. Kuna is surprised at Traumarai's plans and asks Bomb what he wants to do. 
Lilial cuts in and asks him, why bother asking when they're just going to have to do whatever the family had ordered? Bomb says he understands that marriage is an unbreakable bond between humans, but he refuses to be used for war. He intends to confront the family head and win his freedom. Lilial is shocked. She tells him the competition has always been a trap, and Bomb acknowledges, but refuses to give up. Lilial is still hesitant, so Bomb goes on that everyone will be competing for their own freedom, really. Kuhn agrees, offering that the family head is already tied to the competition because he really needs Bomb. If every participant is against a marriage, then the only remaining match is against Bomb. They'll just have to bet their freedom on him. Chilil and Lilil are shocked at how casual they make betrayal sound. Chilil asks if there's even a chance, and Bomb answers it doesn't matter how they do it as long as they win. Lilil asks about contingency plans, and Kuhn tells her not to worry because there's a way out of the battleship, and if needed, they can call on the Pobodao side. He'll make it so that they can win and escape, or at least just escape. As Lilial goes on shouting as she likes to do, Shilial reflects. She initially intended on seducing Bomb, using him, and then throwing him aside, but that didn't work out. Instead, he's proposing that they go against the family head instead of the marriage. She realizes marriage will never be an option, so her plan is at a dead end. On the other hand, she has this new proposition offering her freedom. Lilial is yelling about why they would team up with them when Shilial cuts in and tells her that they should try it. Lilial and Shilial argue over their choice to either marry the Slayer candidate or fight against the family head. And finally, Lilial just gives in angrily that she'll accept joining the match against the family head. Shilial adds a condition to their cooperation. She wants them to ensure that her family will stay safe. Bomb says sure, not to worry about it. They've got the best gamma in the tower, so he's sure they'll succeed. Kuhn doesn't seem impressed by this praise. So Bomb decides to go to the family head and tells Lilial and Shilial to go meet up with their mother and wait with Dorsey for further contact. Kuhn asks Dravi to stick with them and help everyone escape in case of danger. Ren, who was previously seen trying to sneak away during their conversation, is now tangled up in the snakes as he screams at the princesses that they can't betray the family. It's a funny little panel, to be honest, seeing him try to sneak away. Let me go, princess! You can't betray the family! <laughs> It's actually quite harmlessly cute. So what are you going to do? You're just a leech. Lilial asks Shilial what she is thinking by accepting the offer. Shilial thinks to herself that she used to think that the Slayer candidate was this dumb kid who didn't know anything, but it turns out he's a lot braver and a lot more useful than she expected. Out loud, she sarcastically says that it seems better to get married now, doesn't it? Shilial invites her snake dad to come along, as long as he does something about his appearance. Bomb is going crazy and has decided to go ahead and try to confront Traumarai directly. I don't Brilliant think that's idea. a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so one of us thinks it's a good idea, sarcastically, no. and the other one just straight up admits that, no, it, this is what is happening. Bomb, please. It's on point, though. He just loves to run in headfirst into danger. Oh, Bomb. His thought is, Kuhn will figure it out. I just want this to happen, and I want everyone to be safe, and I want everyone to get their happy ending. Kuhn will figure it out for me. I'm just going to barrel in. What's he going to do? Just walk in and be like, hey, Trauber, I'm putting my foot down. But he does have Leviathan on his side, so he does seem to have the upper hand in this situation. Especially if Traumarai places a whole lot of value in the Leviathan, besides it being his bad memory muncher. But let's keep going. We follow Kuhn, Bomb, and Rack down the hall as they're running, and Kuhn and Bomb are chatting it up. Bomb is surprised that Kuhn didn't suggest they escape themselves and abandon the others. 
Kun says he was going to suggest that, actually, and Bob is surprised. But Kun's just kidding. He knows how Bob is. Plus, he gets to keep the princesses in their debt. He tells him his original plans was to convince Bob to escape, but then he heard his little speech and gave up. As they approach the lobby, Kun suggests that Bob ignores whatever's going on there and let him speak to the family head. Bob tries to protest, but Kun asks him what would happen if he, the bargaining chip, went in in person. Bob realizes he's got a point and gives in. Kun thinks to himself that while there is a chance at victory, their chances are pretty slim. But he decides not to worry about it and keeps running. There's an interesting shot of the panel as they're running. We can see that the snakes are shimmering. And we would just assume that they're being recalled or being reformed into the master snake into a new form. Bomb then gets a call in his pocket from Dravi, and she informs him that Jinsung has secured them an escape route. They get the coordinates, and Kuna's surprised to find out it's in the middle of the lobby. Not only that, but there's this weird thing where it'll open up in 15 minutes and only allows travel every three minutes. Kun tells Dravi to get their target, which is Laura, and head to the gate immediately. Dravi also passes on a message from Jinsung, which says, don't get caught. There's a panel of Bomb looking a bit taken aback, but he acknowledges. That entire section was long, and it's just set up for what's coming next, but I'm just excited that Rock, Kun, and Bomb are united for real and interacting again. <laughs> Though, of course, Bomb and Kun will always act like no one else in the room exists whenever they hang out together. Not even Rock, who didn't even get a single line this chapter despite his ample screen time. <laughs> he usually has something to say about Kun's plans, but this time, it sounds like he's pretty confused by whatever's going on. It's just running along. Just point where I'm supposed to throw my spears is probably his mentality. There aren't any fights going on, so he's probably bored. And Bomb and Kun here. The way Bomb trusts Kun's scammer skills to get them out of there, and Kun trusts in Bomb's power to make it happen. These two with their bond, oh my god, I love them. Though I do find it kind of crazy how canon it is that Bomb is a different person when Kun isn't around, and vice versa. It's like they just bring out the best in each other and don't even show this to anyone else. It makes me wish that we had filler episodes between these arcs. Just show us what they're like on a day off. <laughs> I am a little worried though, because during this run, Kun says that he's going to be the one to meet with Tramurai. What is he thinking? I mean, of course he's got the silver tongue, but my god, he could get swatted like a bug at any moment. I'm gonna have like the same levels of anxiety I had, like when White was first swinging his sword at Bomb at the Cat Tower all over again. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Kuhn were to die, but then revive? And Bomb gets to watch the whole thing happen. The insanity. So many questions, because I'm sure they have not had this talk yet, because it sounds like a thing that Kuhn would not want him to know. For sure. And we might get bomb snapping again. I mean, as cool as that would be also, please don't. I mean, that's one way to start a problem with the family heads. Kuhn, you mean you've died more than once? And Rock just pops in like, oh yeah, I've seen him do it a couple times. What? <laughs> And you didn't tell me? At what point? At what time? Why is nobody telling me anything? This poor boy. He just wants his friends to be okay. And they've gone and died and come back a couple of times. No big deal. But we digress. Because at the end of that hallway, 
we have Yuri and Tiara fighting, and Bomb and friends are running straight towards them. Yuri is weaving through attacks and lands right in front of Tiara. Tiara declares that she's still the strongest in close combat, and they start exchanging blows. And if you take a look at the panels, she's pretty good. Yuri's attacks don't seem to be doing much to Tiara's Shinsu body, but Tiara's kicks are still landing on Yuri. Suddenly, we see the green April's hooks pierce through Tiara's book, and Yuri ignites the weapon, ripping it to shreds. Tiara doesn't seem to be worried, though, as she continues to summon Shinsu blasts to Yuri's dismay. Yuri is forced to bring out her Black March replica, and she holds a weapon in each hand when suddenly Holland's big divine beast breaks through the wall and interrupts the fight. Both Tiara and Yuri focus their attacks on it, and the beast collapses with a chunk missing out of its head. Holland then steps forward, complaining about the burning, and asks both girls if they're members of the Pobedao family. Yuri raises her weapons, and Tiara readies her pen, and they both attack, shredding Holland's beast into itty-bitty pieces. Holland stops in awe and wonders, who the heck are these monsters? And we cut over to Kuhn, Bomb, and Rack, who are seen coming up to the lobby. Kuhn's lighthouses are ahead when suddenly there's an alert and he gets everyone to stop. They take a look at the lighthouse and it shows Yuri, Tiara, and Holland facing off in the lobby. Bomb recognizes Yuri, calls her Yuri Nuna, and takes off running again, ignoring Kuhn who tells him to hold on. Bomb bursts into the lobby and is recognized by everyone there. Kuhn and Rack catch up and Kuhn thinks to himself that this isn't a good situation as Bomb shouts for Yuri again. And that's where the chapter ends. Oh my goodness, Bomb calls Yuri Nuna. He's done it before. When he first saw Yuri, he also referred to her as Anuna. For those who don't know, Nuna is a kinship term that means older sister. It's used by younger men towards an older female friend. It usually refers to an older woman a dude is friendly with, and though it can be used to refer to a girlfriend as well, it's far less common for the term to be used that way nowadays. I'd say Bomb's friendship with Yuri currently stands as her being his oldest sister figure, yeah? But who knows? Things can change. Her affection for him is... It's definitely obsessive. <laughs> Almost. Little nebulous. I am so excited to see how she's going to react to this new Bomb. She hasn't seen him since the last station. And admittedly, at last station, he was still kind of, you know, teenager-y. Now he's a young man. Fit, strong, with a shredded shirt. Hmm. First things first. She's got to get a nosebleed. Well, she can join the rest of us in line. <laughs> now, this chapter was incredibly long. So much is happening, but it's all a lot of setup. As to where we're going from here, who knows? Because there are a lot of twists, and it's just, we're along for the ride. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen with Jam Jam. We have the Divine Beast lying in the lobby, cut to shreds, but it had attacked Matt, so where did he go? What is Holland's point to being there, and what's going to happen to his burning tongue? What is Jin Sung up to by telling Bom he was going ahead? For real, what is Holland doing right now from a story standpoint? I guess he's just like a plot mechanic? I mean, he does have a little complex about power ceilings. Is he just going to get blasted away by Bom and exited out of the story? Or are we literally about to see trauma ivory introduced here while everyone goes, oh, crap? I mean, that's the setup. Holland has something he needs to tell the family head, right? That's why his tongue is burning. Yeah, otherwise he's gonna die. 
We see the veins on his face bulging as his time ticks down, so it seems like time is also ticking down for Traumaray to make his appearance. <laughs> Imagine, he steps out and the hotel is blown to pieces, barely anything is left, princesses are fighting in the lobby, the Slayer candidate is just standing there watching them, and his plans are about to be ruined. He's not going to get his way, and that's just going to piss him off. But we'll find out next week, I guess. Hopefully we get more answers than questions. Thanks so much for joining us, regulars. We'll see you on the next floor. Bye. See you in the next one, and keep your popcorn buckets in hand. <laughs>